You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Thanks so much for staying with us on Real Presence Live this morning. I'm Roxanne Solonen, and I have uh, lovely Teresa Curley here with me this morning from South Dakota. So this is a, a meeting of the Dakotas today, so it's it's a lot of fun. But we have kind of a more serious topic coming up here. You know, the on Friday, uh, I don't know where you were when, when we found out about uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned. I know where I was at, and I think most of us who have worked hard for this to happen all these years, we'll always remember where we were at. I was at the Radisson attending a, a, a writer's conference, and um, it was interesting because I had a view of the abortion facility, North Dakota's only abortion facility, which is going to be going away soon. And um, I usually am on the other side praying and looking up at seeing the Radisson. This time I was on the other side. It seemed kind of symbolic to me that of what was happening. But Anyway, um, we have Christopher Dotson on the line uh, of the North Dakota Catholic Conference, and he has been on with us many times before, but never so important as, as now when we're discussing the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which is just a phenomenal mm-hmm. development. And so, Chris, we're, we just want to hear from you. What does this mean for the pro-life movement? But first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi. Good morning. Hey, uh I am the executive director and general counsel for the North Dakota Catholic Conference. Uh, I've been doing this since 1995 and working on pro-life issues even before that. Um, But this was a glorious day on Friday. Mm -hmm. It was just wonderful. I feel like we need need to celebrate. It it was kind of hard yesterday to to go back down there and have to do the same thing and, and, and know that abortions yeah. were happening still. Um, we have to be patient, but I feel like we need to have this celebration. But really, we also need to, to sort through what this means for, for our world, for our nation, but also for North Dakota. So um, tell us a little bit about what's on your mind about what this means for North Dakota citizens and is the battle over. Of course, we know the answer to that. But uh, wh- what do we need to focus on now, Chris? Well, let's back up a bit on what it means for all the citizens in the listening area. Okay, what the court did was correct what was a constitutional wrong. It it was something since Roe, from the beginning, Roe was on shaky ground. And it was bad for our country, it was bad for unborn children, it was bad for families, but it was bad for the law, bad for the political system. And after 49 years, that was finally set right. That is monumental um, for our country, for everyone. Um, and those that favor abortion rights, um, if they were honest, intellectually honest, they would recognize that fact, that if this was not the way this issue should be handled. Um, now the issue returns to the state. State can basically regulate, restrict abortion, prohibit abortion. Um, it's what we call the rational basis test in the law. It's the lowest standard of review. Um, just about every law wins um, against a constitutional challenge. So this is an issue we, back to the states. And for North Dakota, we've been preparing for, for this day uh, for many years. So we have statutes on the books ready to be enforced. 
I think it's so interesting because as a citizen who doesn't really know legal things like you do, um, it seemed like a lot of lawyers in the in the pro-life world were pretty confident this was going to happen even before the leak happened and everything. And I just, I was not as, I was like, I wish I could believe that, but it just seemed so impossible. Too good to be true. Yeah. So, but yeah. you, you all knew something else. I, I, I don't know if you well, you felt hopeful. I've always felt hopeful. Uh, when I started this job in 95, I thought that abortion would be illegal in North Dakota um, before I retire, and we've made it. <laughs> and I thought it for two reasons. Uh, one, because I knew that Roe was on shaky ground. I knew that Casey was on shaky ground. It just couldn't continue to withstand, was my feeling. Um, part of it was spiritual, too. I knew this victory had been won with Jesus' resurrection. Um, all we had to do was fight the battle here in this life, and that day would come. Uh, it didn't come exactly how I thought. I thought, to be honest, that we would restrict abortion and uh, change the culture faster than mm-hmm. we have. And I thought that by the time Roe was overturned, it would be in the back page of the newspaper, mm-hmm. and no one would really care, uh, because we had created such a culture of life. So I was wrong on that. <laughs> but um, we, we're, we're still going to get there. Um, uh, and then when the cases, what we've done through the years is push the envelope and look, we read the Supreme Court. Um, there were fights within the pro-life movement about how to proceed. Yes, I'll admit that. Um, but um, the U.S. bishops usually took the course that we're going to push the envelope, not look for a complete abolition right away read the court, see what the last decision said, build upon that, build upon that, um, and the focus became these type of things, such as viability, genetic abnormalities, um, uh, um, sex selection ban, things like that. We were taking advantage of what we saw, um, where the directions the court was going, and that it would have to eventually confront the issue in Roe and Casey. Um, and the Mississippi case um, set that up. Uh, we got to hand it, though, to the Attorney General, Mr. General, to Mississippi, who went to court not asking that the law be upheld under Roe and Casey, but saying it's time to strike down Roe and Casey. And so when the court accepts the, que- when the, court accepts the case, they define the question to be answered. And Mississippi made it clear that that's the question they wanted answered, and that's how the case was accepted for argument. And so since uh, December, we've known that this would be the case. Hmm. As someone who prays down at our state's only abortion facility, I remember about five years ago there was a father with a child in a car seat who came up, and I don't know, that day I just was compelled to have a conversation with him and ask why why are you doing this? If you have a child already, you know the value of that child. And he said, because I can, because it's legal. And every time someone would challenge me on, well, making it illegal isn't going to take abortion away, which we know, which is true. But I realized that day that so many people who were there, they decided that whatever was legal was moral. 
I guess is what, what the conclusion I came right. to. So it does matter whether it's legal or not. And yes, we want to change the hearts first and foremost, and overall, that's our goal. But the legal aspect does matter. So do you want to mention, talk to, about that a little bit, Chris? Because just to kind of address the people that don't think that this, you know, that the legality of it matters. Um, sure. You know, this reminds me of an episode of The Simpsons, which can sometimes poke a lot of fun at the way society thinks. They were deciding whether to have gambling in Springfield, and somebody said, it's immoral. And then somebody says, well, but if we change the law, it's no longer immoral. <laughs> it's like, mm, right. That's how people view. <laughs> if, we change, if we say it's okay, now it's not, now it's not immoral. Um, and, and I don't know where we get that attitude in our society. That's that's a society of, that doesn't want to look at God, that just yeah. wants to completely ignore God. Right. And, so, and, and universal truths, yeah. Yeah, so it seems like their morality comes from law, because there's it, no yeah, God. We, yeah. In legal, in legal theory, we call it positivism. Okay. That whatever is written in the statute is what is right and what is wrong. Right. So the battle is not over yet, because... You know, this is a major step with changing the law, but as you mentioned earlier, um, you know, it should be on the back page of the newspaper, you know, like, we should yeah. be in a culture of the, life. The goal is to make abortion unthinkable, mm. not just banned. We're talking to Christopher Dotson of the North Dakota Catholic Conference about the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which we can still celebrate and we should celebrate. But at the same time, there are new challenges um, that we are facing as pro-lifers. Chris, do you want to speak to those? Uh, let's, let's take it another way, if I can. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what will happen here, um, and I can try to comment on the surrounding states. Sure. North Dakota has three laws that we put on the books to look at. Um, two of them we've called triggers. We wrote those saying that if Roe was ever overturned, the, uh, these could go into effect. And the reason we wrote it that way is because we knew we didn't have the votes of the Supreme Court at the time, um, but that we might in the future. So one of them is a comprehensive ban on abortion, and it bans all abortions throughout pregnancy except for rape, incest, life of the mother. The second is a ban on dilation and evacuation abortions, um, which is the most common second trimester abortion. The Attorney General said earlier this week that um, the conditions for enforcing those have been met, and following the law, he wrote a letter to the legislature saying that, and then after that's 30 days. So July 28th, those two laws will go into effect, and they'll become enforceable. Basically, the D&E ban becomes moot because the other one overlaps it in a sense. Um, and if I have time, there's a third law, or I can do it after the break. But there's another, there's, there's more to come. Okay. Yeah, we can we can check back after the break on that. I, I just, as I'm, I'm struck by the reality of creating this this provision in case this should happen someday. And now it, it happened. Yeah. You, you get to follow yeah. through. It's like, we've been waiting yeah. all these years, and now the thing that you put in place just in case... Happen. That's such a glorious yeah. thing. It, as a lawyer, yeah, you must be just so pleased. Yeah, and I, uh, and I had a hand in writing those triggers. So, yeah. mm. wow, lots of uh, satisfaction there. That's great. I, I, we were afraid that if we pushed the case to the Supreme Court right then, we would lose, and there'd be stronger precedent 
against overturning Roe in the future. We didn't want another bad case against us like Casey. Lots of thought and prayer went into this, and it absolutely was God's hand. And we uh, we we all felt that that day. Those of us who have been fighting this and praying for this, so it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So. After the break, we will talk more with Christopher Dotson of the North Dakota Catholic Conference about the overturning of Roe v. Wade and what that means for the pro-life movement. So stay with us. We will be right back. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, the Director of Advancements for Real Presence Radio with today's Plan Giving Minute. Philanthropy is an expression of your generosity with the understanding that your gift to the church will make a difference. There are many ways in which you can make a gift to further God's work. Most of us are familiar with cash gifts we give regularly to Real Presence Radio. However, another way of contributing is through Plan Giving, which may allow you to give more than you've ever dreamed possible. The goal of plan giving is to help you plan your estate and charitable giving in a way that benefits you, your family, and our mission. There are several ways you can make these plan gifts and enjoy tax and income benefits. For more information, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. S.J. Machine, proudly named after and dedicated to St. Joseph, provides machining and induction heat treating to a variety of industries. Just as St. Joseph worked diligently to meet his family's needs, S.J. Machine strives to understand and meet our customers' production needs. Prototype to production, working together towards success. S.J. Machine can be reached at 701-347-0155 and are a proud supporter of the Real Presence Radio Network. The Mustard Seed Catholic Store is South Dakota's place to purchase Catholic books, gifts, and decor. With locations in Rapid City and Sioux Falls, we are here to provide you with gifts for the Catholic occasions in your life. From baptism to First Communion, confirmation to weddings, and ordinations, we pride ourselves in having local artists share their creative talents, making rosaries, crucifixes, artwork, coffee, and books. We are located in Rapid City on Main Street, in the new Diocesan Building, or in Sioux Falls on Grange Avenue across from Costco. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. We're talking with Christopher Dotson of the North Dakota Catholic Conference about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And I'm going to ask the question again. Where were you the moment you found out last Friday that Roe v. Wade had been overturned? I think that's a, a moment we're going to remember and we're going to talk with our grandchildren about. And I'm going to ask, Chris, yeah, Chris, where were you? Uh, probably not a surprise to anybody who knows me. I was staring at the computer on the Supreme Court's website hitting refresh. <laughs> Waiting. And, um, Tapping your fingers. Yeah, and, um, and I saw, I hit refresh, and what I saw, they give the opinions every 10 minutes, and then there's an R if they're done for the day in front of the case number. I saw the R, and then I, and I looked, and then I saw the name of the case. But the first thing I looked at was who drafted the opinion. Mm. 
and, and, and there was an A by it. So I said, Alito, mm. yes. Mm. <laughs> what did you do then? What was your next thing after you saw that? Did you jump up for joy, or did you? what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> no, I immediately um, I looked at the vote count. And then I uh, started getting my press releases out. For the wow. <laughs> Just go to work, so I, roll I up the wor- sleeves. I, yeah, I was working right away, and I had, you know, a number of statements that had to get out and, and start answering calls and stuff. So. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, the work is never done, right? Um, when we're working in the vineyard for our Lord, who is the giver of life, who brought life to all of us. And so... Um, there's so much to to do here, and I think the conversation can, can get so much more nuanced now, and it already has shifted. It's also become challenging, you know. Um, I, I've been challenged by some of my college friends who are pro-choice. They want me to answer the question: Isn't this about women's rights, Chris? What 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 should I say to them? <laughs> but I think that's always an easy one because there's another child involved, right. and and. And what defines women's rights just because it happens to involve a woman? Well, it involves an unborn child, too. Um, and we know that women are slightly more pro-life in their views, even if they have more nuanced views on what the statutes should look like. Um, so it certainly is not made a woman's rights because of majority view. Right, and what is a woman anyway? I mean, okay, that's kind of another, but really, right? I mean, that's another conversation yeah. happening right now. So what, women's rights, what is a woman? All the early feminists were pro-life. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So, but before, I want to go back to the laws, because we mentioned in North Dakota we had the two trigger laws. That's right. right. But there's a third law to look for. Um, in 2013, we passed a ban on abortion after a detectable heartbeat. That went to, that was challenged, went to federal court, and was enjoined. When a, when a court strikes down something as unconstitutional, they issue an injunction on it being enforced, means you can't enforce it. But the law doesn't go away, it sits there. Hmm. And it can become enforced whenever the opinions change or something. Um, but Drew Wrigley has Attorney General Drew Wrigley said he will go to court and get the injunctions lifted on any abortion-related law, including that one, that is currently enjoined by the courts. If that goes into effect, um, it would go effect as soon as the injunction is lifted, which may happen before July 28th. i got to be honest, I don't know the timelines and how the rules of federal civil procedure work. Um, but abort- all abortions would be prohibited except for rape and incest, I think, in those first maybe six weeks. Because the heartbeat ban would trump all the others. Right. As soon as there's a heartbeat, it does not have a rape and incest exception. It has a life of the mother's exception and a substantial physical health exception. Wow, oh, I did uh, not know that. Thank you for explaining so, that. When, when you put all three laws together, you have a little bit of a conflict between the different exceptions um, and some of the definitions, but the courts have a way of working that out. Um, I think what we end up with is all abortions prohibited except for rape and incest in the first six weeks. Um, and um, But the Attorney General may have a different view on how to interpret those together, and the courts may. 
But it looks as though all three of those laws will become enforceable, and to some extent they'll cancel or moot each other out. Mm-hmm. So stay attention to the news. There's, there's more to come in North Dakota. Okay. You know, Chris, one thing that I've encountered even among um, friends that I grew up with that are Catholic, now their reaction is, oh, you claim you're Christian, but you're not giving answers for women. You know, you're just showing them hate. And, you know, the pro-life movement isn't about that. It's the mother and the baby. So could you tell us about the North Dakota Catholic Conference's Know Them, Love Them campaign and what's the purpose of it? Well, I have been collecting data on um, the women who get abortions from North Dakota for years. I have spreadsheets that go back into the 90s, some part information to the 80s. And that's for, primarily because I wanted to know how well are we doing as North Dakotans in our charities and our pregnancy centers and state laws to help these women and see what the trends are. Mm-hmm. And so talking to the bishops, he thought, let's get this information out in the months preceding Dobbs, because no matter what happens, uh, those women need help. And in some respects, they're the women that we are missing. And in other words, we do great work with the pregnancy centers and the adoption centers and so on, but these women we're not getting, because they're still getting abortions. Mm-hmm. There's about 830 of them from North Dakota. And so I said, what do we know about them? Um, and so we've been putting out that information um, through our website, um, on social media, and I've been doing talks on it as well, um, so that people know who they are, because we need to step up and help these women. Uh, we're not going to abandon them and just say, well, oh, now, now abortion's illegal. we got to make sure that they don't think that abortion is an answer so that they cross the river. Mm. Um so some of the things we know is that they are typically adults. There's not very many teens. Teens don't get abortions very often in North Dakota. Teens don't get pregnant very often in North Dakota. Hmm. We could do another show on that. They're adults in their 20s, uh, white, usually college-educated. Um, about 60% or so have children already. And uh, I think that's something we need to really consider. So they know the cost of having a baby. They know they're like the person you described earlier, Roxanne. They they have a baby. They know the cost. They know the difficulties. They know the loves and joys, but they still think abortion is an answer. We need to address that problem. Um, They tend to be white in North Dakota, of course, but black women in North Dakota have a disproportionately higher share of abortions. Um, so we need to refocus, I think. Uh, we might be focusing too much on teenagers or focusing too much on single moms. We need to focus on those 20-year-old, um, working, probably working, single women with children. That means we need to look at our policies on child care and, um, a living wage, in addition to boosting, at least doubling the alternatives to abortion program in the state. That gives money to the pregnancy centers, maternity homes, um, adoption agencies to help women. We need to do a better job there, expand the program so that we can cover newborns. Um, St. Gianna's, for example, most of their clients already have children, and they're not included in the program at the moment because of the way the law is written. We need to double the money. We need to double our efforts in the pregnancy centers. 
uh, we need probably need to do different advertising. I'm not the expert on this. I just have the data. So we'll try. The bishop said, let's get the information out so that people on the ground who know these things can figure out what can we do different. How do we reach these women? A 33 is a manageable number, in a sense that it, it's, it doesn't seem overwhelming. Mm-hmm. If you divide the number of parishes, if you got the number of parishes in our state and the number of Protestant churches that are committed to life, and they all made you know some way of feeling like they're adopting one of these women, it'd be done, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a challenge. But this is the job before us, and, and as we begin this um, post-row uh, world, uh, we need to figure out how to help these women. I'm going to throw in a chink here, Christopher. Uh, I just We've seen a lot of people of color coming down there recently. It seems like it's increased in the last couple of years, and I've just wondered if people coming from other countries, immigrants and, and such, uh, are, are feeling like they have to do this because it's the only way they're going to survive our culture, because a lot of them are from African cultures where they abortion isn't accepted. And and so I, I know you're not saying to it, ignore them, but I'm just saying I don't know if maybe there's something we can do there um, to meet it, them. It is some, mm-hmm. I agree. It's something we need to look at because uh, the number of black women, as the data says, is disproportionately higher, and we know that in North Dakota... Um, a large portion of those women are not African-American slave descendants. They are immigrants. Yes. So we probably need to figure out a way to bring um, our our message of life yes. and family to those communities, and they should be receptive if we have a, the right way to, to um, fight our way in, and it's, it's a, so, to speak, so to speak. Christopher, thank you so much for bringing your wisdom here and kind of shedding light on the legal aspects of it. You've certainly um, enlightened me today, and I know we will have you back on in the future, and we will need your continued wisdom Mm -hmm. and expertise. So thank you for being with us on Real Presence Live today, and um, keep the fight up and keep us informed as you can, and uh, we really appreciate all that you've done. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. You bet. God bless you. Ah, oh, there's a lot of exciting things happening. I know a lot of work to be done. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good challenge to have, you know, uh, but also is. a little bit overwhelming. Like, yeah. where, where do we start now? We actually have an opportunity to do what we said we were trying to do, right? Right. And so, yeah. Right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we have the story of how Our Lady led one family back to God through tragedy. So, stay tuned on Real Presence Live. Thank you, Chris. 